You are listening to a message from Sound Words. To find information about our ministry, please visit our website at soundwords.org. You can also download our free app from iTunes or Google Play to access more great sermons. Well, I wondered what should I preach on this morning <laughs> that I could get through. Well, we're going to go to Second Timothy. Because I thought, well, this is Paul's last letter. This is my last official sermon. You'll get a lot more personal ones along the way. But uh, this is the last official sermon. And Second Timothy is Paul's last letter. There are about 32 or 33 imperatives. 32 imperatives plus one that's taken as an imperative in this short four-chapter letter. So I figure if I spend five minutes on each of these, we will be well into the afternoon. What I want to do is just highlight what Paul has to say in this letter using these imperatives. Imperatives in Greek are the commands, those things that must be done. And Paul makes clear to Timothy what is the burden that he has for the future ministry of God's truth. Paul's expecting the coming of the Lord. He told the Romans, I believe in chapter 13, that now is your salvation nearer than when you first believed. Well, that was fine, but it's some 2,000 years. And the Lord hasn't come yet, although the Romans have entered into the enjoyment of what God Christ has provided for them with his death and resurrection. So Paul, he's expecting the return of the Lord, but he's aware of the fact that the Lord may not be coming. So we have to plan accordingly. So I want to just walk through this letter, highlighting some of the commands that Paul gives to Timothy as a reminder to us of God's grace and the responsibility we have in light of that grace. The first seven verses don't have any commands in them. They just are introductions. And verse six, he says, for this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. And it's important for Paul to make clear to Timothy that there is a great responsibility on him, but it's a responsibility that God has placed there. So God will give the enablement for him to carry out that responsibility. Verse 7, God has not given us a spirit of timidity, of cowardice, of holding back. I'm sure for Timothy, Paul's imprisoned in Rome. And on all likelihood, he's going to die as a result of this imprisonment, being executed. But God hasn't given us a spirit of timidity, of cowardice, of pulling back, but of power, love, and discipline. And I love the mixture that Paul has of power, love, discipline, that all go together. Love doesn't mean we have no discipline, and discipline doesn't mean we don't have love. And the contrast and collection that will run through this letter. Then in verse 8, 
And through the rest of uh, chapter one, he has four commands that he gives. I'll mention them to you. Do not be ashamed. That's the first one that's not an imperative mood in Greek. But many of the commentators say that it's in the construction should be taken as a command. The other 32 that we'll mention or partially mention are all given in the imperative mood. That means it's something that must be done. It's given as a command. The first is here, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me as prisoner. And Paul's going to put the two together. He is in prison He has suffered a difficult life since his conversion because of his testimony for Christ. So don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me. And Paul joins himself there, and that's crucial. We want to be part of what God is doing on earth at this time. The testimony that Christ had ought to be the testimony of our lives Join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. And there you have that second command and the first of the 32 imperatives. Do not be ashamed is the first command, not an imperative, but it's given as a command. And then join with me in suffering for the gospel. Paul's writing as a prisoner, a prisoner facing rather sure execution. He'll later talk about that. And the process has begun that's going to culminate in my execution. But join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. And a reminder, God saved us and called us, not according to our work, but according to his own purpose and grace. Join with me in suffering. We're going to put things in perspective We have been blessed as a ministry, as a church, and we appreciate that. But, you know, times go up and down, and there are times when God is doing a special work in a unique way, and it's a privilege and a blessing. But there are times when they are difficult. The apostle is going through one. Timothy has to be prepared to face one. Paul doesn't write and say, look, it's been difficult for me, but I'm sure it'll be better for you. No, join with me in suffering for the gospel. And the rest of the letter, that's the only thing that Paul can focus on and be sure of. There will be suffering that comes for the gospel. And I want you to do it according to the power of God. Isn't that a get yourself built up, prepare yourself, be ready, and you'll be a man? No. It's according to the power of God. He will provide. So you will be able to join with me in suffering. I'm not asking you to do what's normal to you because he's going to have to tell Timothy and remind him, verses eight, uh, 6 and 7 of chapter 1, that God hasn't given us a spirit of timidity, of cowardice, but power, love, and discipline. So the power is God's power. Even though Paul's in prison and looks like he's a defeated man, here we are 2,000 years later reading this letter. So we want to be careful that we don't take our eyes and focus on what we can see and observe and say, oh, everything is just going downhill. No, Paul say, join with me in suffering for the gospel. This is the victory. This is 
what God has accomplished for us. Do not be ashamed. Join with me in suffering. And he reminds Timothy of what's happened to him. And then in verse 13, he gives the third command. Retain the standard of sound words which you've heard in me. Retain the standard. Hold on to the truth. That's key. The pressure with the opposition is that we begin to adjust the truth. We begin to water down the truth to avoid some of the suffering and then the battle is lost for us, so to speak. Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. He keeps taking this back to what they have in Christ, what Timothy has in Christ, what Paul has in Christ, what we have in Christ. The fourth command given here in verse 14, guard. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. You know, this is not something that we're doing on ourselves. We have much goes on even in conservative circles, politically, you know, we just need to pump up. We need to be ready. We need to get ourselves. We're talking about, no, we need to realize the power of God and God's enablement in the worst of times. Paul's in what we would call the worst of times. He's going to die as a martyr shortly. But we're not talking about God's power, God's power through the Holy Spirit, guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. That's right. We're not in this on my own, our own. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. And Paul doesn't paint an unrealistic picture. He immediately says, you're aware of the fact that all who are in Asia have turned away from me. Wait a minute. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. That means we ought to be victorious. We ought to be conquering. We are even in the worst of times. Even Paul's in prison, and he says everyone in Asia, Asia Minor, that would include places like Ephesus, that were in a position to stand and support me, have abandoned me. Oh, well, remember what we are to do, verse 14. We are to guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to us the treasure which has been entrusted to us. The treasure is the word of God. That's the treasure that's been entrusted to us. It's been passed on. We're studying Paul's letter 2,000 years after he writing in this imprisonment and shortly we'll be executed. But it's a treasure entrusted to us. We must guard it through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us and that doesn't mean we're not realistic all who are in Asia have turned against me and he even mentions two of them by name Fugelis and Hermogenes how would you like to be immortalized in the word of God that way everyone in Asia let me give you two examples Fugelis and Hermogenes boy I don't want to be like them no you don't but Onesiphorus He stood with me. When he was in Rome, he searched Paul out. He gave him help. It didn't matter. This may be costly. 
because he might get arrested. Oh, he's another one of those men like Paul. We ought to arrest him too. No, the Lord will grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day, verse 18. So there are only four commands, three imperatives, and then that additional command that started this list in verse 8, do not be ashamed. Join with me in suffering. Retain, guard. And then chapter 2. In chapter 2, we're going to have a list of imperative commands. This is what you must do, Timothy. You get idea, the idea that Paul, in this chapter and in chapter 4 particularly, he will pile on these commands, these forceful instructions. This is what you have to do. Because soon, Timothy, I won't be here. But that doesn't mean God won't be here. So chapter 2 opens up with the first command in the chapter. You, therefore, my son, be strong. Be strong. It may not be part of Timothy's, what we call, his innate nature. Because again, verse 7 of chapter 1, Paul said, God has not given us a spirit of timidity, of cowardice. He had to remind Timothy in verse 6 to kindle afresh that spiritual gift that's in you. Timothy may have been tended to retire into himself. You know, well, let's pull back. No, Timothy, be strong. Chapter 2, verse 1, that's command. In the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You know, this constant reminder. This is not human. We've got a number of, any number of humans that are not born again human beings that are put on the news, put out there. These are people who really stand out and that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about those who will be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That grace, that supernatural grace that God will give you. It's not nature. It's not, well, I learned and I prayed and now I know how to really. No, it's I'm depending on God's grace. That unmerited favor that is in Christ Jesus. And what's Timothy's responsibility? He's going to have a big life impacting, world impacting. Very simply, the things you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these. Entrust is another command. Be strong. Entrust these to faithful men. Here's what you have to do, Timothy. And it's not a complicated responsibility. Be faithful to the word of God. You've heard it from me. Now entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Well, that's not a big deal. It is because the pressure is relentless all around us. Sometimes it seems like, well, it's a little bit relieved. But really, over my 50-some years here, We've had the times and think, well, boy, we just everybody move in. We have to get more people in. And I remember having a conversation with Don one time at lunch. said, boy, we have 10,000 people. This keeps up. Well, it doesn't keep up. But we have to keep up. We have to be faithful to the word regardless. So we have the time and then we think, well, we must be doing something wrong. Because we don't have the same result. Well, Paul didn't have the same result. Here he is in prison. How his life is coming to an end. Look back. What have you accomplished? You were somebody in Judaism and then you were turned from that and placed your faith in Christ and devoted your life to him and now you're going to be executed. 
as a nobody who we want to be rid of. And you're telling me to be strong and entrust these things you've learned from me to others also. And then verse 3, we're back to where we started. Suffer hardship with me. Well, up in chapter 1, verse 8, Paul said to Timothy, join with me in suffering. Now he says in chapter 2, verse 3, suffer hardship with me. And he's going to use three pictures there. We're not going into detail. You can get those in sound words when we've walked through this in a more expanded way. But as a good soldier, as a really an effective athlete, and verse 6, as a hardworking farmer, suffer hardship with me. Look around you. It's difficult. There are things you learn from it. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life. Let me just aside. That's one of the things that weakens us as a church. You know, before, boy, Sunday morning, Sunday school, I remember my dad telling me, you know, I was saved as a young teenager. My parents, my dad was saved in his early 30s. My mother was saved about the same time. But I remember him telling me, because we were having a discussion, I was being discussed to, but I was, you know, maybe don't need to go on Sunday night. He said, let me tell you how things are in this house. You will go to church on Sunday morning, to Sunday school and Sunday service. You will go on Sunday evening. You will go on Wednesday night. And you will go with the youth group on Friday night. Now you get your schoolwork done. You're free with the other nights. Oh, what if I decide I don't want to do that? When you are old enough and you decide you want to move out and establish your own home, you can do that. Other than that, you live in this house, you will do what I decide. Oh, then I met Marilyn, and I liked going to church. (laughs) But the Lord used that in a good way. We'll move on here, right, with, uh, well, that does remind me of suffering hardship. No. (laughs) 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 Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier. Now, he gave some examples of what it means to suffer hardship. There's concrete reality. A soldier, an athlete, a farmer, there's discipline involved. This is not just a come and take it easy, relax. Consider, verse 7 is the next command given. Consider. It's the eighth in the list. We had the four in chapter 1, and now we're up to 8 because we have four here. This is the fourth, verse seven. Consider what I say, the Lord will give you understanding. Paul is writing under the inspiration of the spirit of God. He'll talk about this in chapter three, verse 16. All scripture is inspired by God. And Paul is writing scripture, but at the time he's aware the spirit is using him, but he doesn't know that this will be joined and 2,000 years later, we'll be studying it together. Consider what I say, the Lord will give you understanding in everything. So this is something Timothy is to contemplate. It's just not, well, give me a, a general biblical talk and move on. Consider this. Apply your thoughts to it, your mind to it. Consider what I'm saying. Have you considered 
the command, suffer hardship with me. We get a comfortable Christianity. The hardship, well, that's not part of it. We begin to pull back. I shared with you, my dad told me, we go to church on Sunday morning in this house and we go on Sunday evening. The Bible doesn't say, but the Bible does say, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And it does say, submit to those that God has placed over you. If they decide we're meeting together on Sunday night, we're meeting together on Sunday night and you will be there as long as you're part of this house. And it was good instruction for me, obviously. I haven't forgotten it over the 60 plus years ago that he said it. So now consider what I say. Give it careful thought. The Lord will give you understanding. So I'm going to apply myself to the word. And verse eight, we're back to where there's repetition, but there's expansion. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship even do imprisonment as a criminal. But the word of God is not in prison. So again, we put things in perspective. I'm writing this. Yeah, yeah. where's Paul when he writes that? He's in prison. Yes, he is. I'm in prison. But you know what? The word of God is not in prison. So Paul has been dead and body has been turned to dust. He's been 2,000 years. But here's the word of God. The word of God is not imprisoned. So we want to be careful that we don't get tied up because what happens over time, and I shared with you quotes from different men, who said the third generation moves away. And how does it move away? Not by initially denying the truth, but wanting to wed the truth to make it fit more with the world. Pretty soon, then, we deny the truth. We've seen this in our major denominations. Remember Jesus Christ. That's a command. Timothy, remember, you must constantly remember Jesus Christ. And then you understand why I suffer hardship, because I'm identified with him. Verse 10, I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, the elect, that they may obtain the salvation. We're faithful to the truth. And it's not just selfishness, but that's for the benefit of others. Because through your testimony, other people hear about Jesus Christ. And the trustworthy statement, if we died with him, we will live with him. If we endure, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we're faithless, he's faithful. So I want to be careful and stay in line on track. Just as a side, some of the observations I've had over the church of years, and not just me, but others, In our country, there is a decline. There is a marked move away from serious consideration of the truths of the word of God. And it starts not by denying anything. No, we believe everything you believe. We believe the same thing, yes. Well, we don't meet this time. We don't meet that time. Well, pretty soon, we what? Well, it's easier to stay home and watch it on TV. We can do that now. We're part of the service and we get the word. But what about Hebrews 10 that says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. There were some already. Well, yeah, but it doesn't matter whether I'm there. I mean, I'm getting the truth. Well, wait a minute. It's just not about you. It's about somebody else. So we have the 
trustworthy statement. That's not one of the commands. The command is remember Jesus Christ. But if you remember him, you'll remember what Paul said about him. If we died with him, we'll live with him. If we endure, we will reign. If we deny him, he will deny us. So verse 14, here we go again. Remind them. So I'm telling you what you already know, but I'm just doing what he commands us to do, that other command. Remember in verse 8, remind. Remind them of these things. Solemnly charge them in the presence of God, not to wrangle about word which is useless, leads to the wrong. Remind them of the basics. Remind them of the truth. Remind them of the word of God. So much of the reading today and find it influencing believers. Yeah, no, we want to hold to the scripture, but we can also do this. And really we move over and pretty soon that this replaces the word of God and we're where major denominations are like Methodist, which I was, and Presbyterian and so on. What happened? And if you ask a person, they say, oh yeah, we believe all that. But it's just a superficial. Be diligent. That's another command. Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed. Accurately handling the word of truth. Back in chapter 1, verse 8, what did he say? Therefore, do not be ashamed. Now, verse 15 of chapter 2, be diligent so that you're a workman who does not need to be ashamed. Accurately handling the word of truth. That's what the church is about. The church is the pillar and support of the truth. We are to be about the word of God. We're about handling the word of God accurately. We want to be careful that we are biblical. I've shared with you, there's a movement now that's prominent among evangelical Christians. Some that I respect, but I don't know what's happening to them where we take the three steps and like they do it in an emergency ward where they decide the first, second, and third step. Somebody who really is in dire need, you're number one and number two. And number three is, well, it can wait, but it's serious, but it can wait. And eschatology in the parallel is number three. So that what the Bible says about the future, well, you know, we can disagree on that. It won't divide us. Who made that up? Where do you get that in the scripture? Where do you get in scripture that so much of the book of Isaiah is, it's not so bad if you disagree about it, or the book of Revelation, well, that's all right. You can just have your own opinion. And so we begin to deny portions of the word of God while we claim to be believers in the word of God. That erosion Verse 15, the command is be diligent to present yourselves approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Where did I get the idea that eschatology, future things, is not that important? And we can disagree on that and we still all are just fine. I'm to be diligent. That's a command. That's what Paul, here at the end, he wants Timothy to understand, handling accurately the word of truth. Well, I mean, you know, that doesn't mean everything in Isaiah and Ezekiel and Revelation and Matthew. We generally handle it accurately, but 
we realize you can have difference. No, you can't have a difference. We need to hammer it out. Well, I realize there are differences. Some who claim to believe the Bible have a difference. That's fine, but they can't be part of this church and have that difference. We are, quote, dispensational from the Greek word, which has to do with house law. God is managing his household according to truth. You may be a believer and may be an heir on the truth, but we let you have your church, we'll have ours. I'm not saying that anybody who doesn't hold every detail and cross every T the way we do, but I am saying that we must be faithful to the word and as we understand it. And we avoid, there are certain things. There's another command, avoid, verse 16. Worldly and empty chatter. It will lead to further ungodliness. Paul's concerned about what's happening to believers, to churches. You'll note, avoid worldly and empty chatter. It will lead to further ungodliness and their talk will spread like gangrene. And here's another couple of men. Well, we don't want to mention people, but Paul does. They've been immortalized in the word of God, Hymenaeus and Philetus. They're two examples of men. They got confused on life after death and the resurrection, and they got now a spiritual resurrection, and the bodily resurrection isn't important because bodily things don't matter, but it's the spiritual that really matters or whatever. It's like gangrene. You know how error takes hold in a, even among believers? Their talk, verse 17, will spread like gangrene. I'm amazed. You know, it's like relentless. You hammer the truth, and then it doesn't take much. And it seems, examples I've read you of those who say the third generation basically moves away from the word of God. They don't necessarily deny it. They move away from it. And I could list seminaries and have that have done that. And I think, well, they're not the same school, not the same school I went to, not the same school we identified with, and not the same church. They are, verse 18, Hymenaeus and Philetus, he says in verse 18, are men who have gone away from the truth. And they upset the faith of some, the end of verse 18. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands. So I realize there may be different views, but basically... We want to follow our hermeneutics, our interpretation, and we want to be consistent with those principles and be careful. We go, well, it won't make that big a difference. And we agree on the basics. We agree on the fundamentals, which are what? Everything God has said. You think he put the book of Revelation in there just because he wanted to confuse us? And he put so much of Isaiah there just so we get off track? And then Christ said some things, and, you know, there's a variety of views on. And pretty soon we say, well, let's just throw out all the portions of the word of God that we find might be controversial, and that grows. Avoid. Verse 19. The firm foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. Everyone who names the name of the Lord, and here's another command, is to abstain from wickedness abstain from wickedness. But he's been talking about the view of the resurrection. You know, that's a third level thing. We don't, oh, wait a minute. 
Let everyone who names the name of the Lord abstain from wickedness. Why do they deny a portion of the word? Why do they deny biblical prophecy? I don't know. It's between them and the Lord. The Lord will decide. But I have to stand firm and true to the word. I say this and emphasize it, and I know some of you are saying, we agree with this. I've met people. I met a person years ago. It had been then to this church. I said, where are you going now? Um, well, I don't think you'd agree with them. But, you know, I said, well, where are you? They mentioned a liberal Protestant church, but a liberal doesn't believe the Bible. Well, you know, my kids are teenagers, and they have friends there, and they thought they would like to be there, so I thought it was better than no place. What are we doing? Your children don't matter? So put them where there'll be things that spread like gangrene and corrupt them spiritually and put them on the road to an eternal hell? Everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness, verse 19. So to abstain is another command. So now we're going to broaden this. In a large house, there are gold and silver vessels. There are wood and earthenware. Some to honor, some to dishonor. So the church has grown. Paul's aware of that. Verse 21, if anyone cleanses himself from these, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful to the master. Then a couple more commands. Three, really. Flee is a command from youthful lust. Pursue is a command. Righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the name on the Lord with a pure heart. Verse 23, the third command, refuse. Flee, pursue, refuse. Foolish and ignorant speculations. They produce quarrels. We're not quarrelsome. We don't want to battle over these things. Uh, That doesn't mean we don't hold them. And in this church, you will not be tolerated to teach otherwise. You can come, you can listen. We hope you will come to believe. But no, you can't have a position. You can't be given responsibility because you're not where we are. You're saying I'm not a believer? I'm saying what you say and what you want to teach is not consistent with what we understand the Word of God to teach. Understand every church in town is not a dispensational church. Some of those who have been dispensational are moving away from that. To me, they're beginning to loosen and weaken their hermeneutics And pretty soon, we'll just have a religious organization like the Jews. The Jews are a nation chosen by God, even though they're under the judgment of God for their unbelief. And the majority of Jews are on their way to an eternal hell, even though God is going to restore that nation's future. So for us as a church, we need to remember and apply these things. Refuse foolish and ignorant speculation. The Lord's bondservant, Lord's slave, must not be quarrelsome. Kind to all, able to teach, patient when wrong, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance. So it's not that, oh, well, no, I don't want to deal with you. No, I would like to talk with you further about it. But it's not because you have your view and I have. There is something that is correct here, that is biblical here been in many of these conversations. You don't have to be arrogant. Well, you're wrong and there's nothing to talk about. 
No, I would like to talk to you about it. I'm not open to what you're saying, but I would like to present you the truth and talk about the truth. And God may grant repentance. Look at, we could have been hours with testimonies and you would share how you came to know Christ and somebody shared the truth with you and you believed that truth and it changed your life. That's what we're doing. God may grant them repentance. Paul, everywhere he went, he presented the truth. He didn't do it with arrogance. I'm right. Here's what I have to say. You don't want to hear it. Then that's too bad. You're going to hell. No, let me tell you about it. Let me pray for you. Let me uh, share with you the truth. Let me get together with you again and share some more of the truth. God may grant them repentance. Verse 26, they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil. Yes. So we want to be careful. We're not saying we're right. We don't talk to anybody. But I doesn't mean I'm going to spend two hours listening to what this person in error has to say. I want to present the truth of the gospel to you. Not because I'm better than you. Not because I have much more knowledge than you. I may be, humanly speaking, dumber than you. You may have earned degrees in fields that I don't have a clue about. But let me tell you about what God has done for you in Christ. I can tell you what he did for me. I can tell you what he'll do for you. So we come to chapter 3, and the first verse has another command in it. Realize, realize that in the last days, difficult times will come. Know this. It's the word to know. Gnosko. Realize, know this. In the last days, difficult times will come. Every day we think, well, you know, it's difficult, it's difficult. And in different parts of the world at different times, the difficulties are different. There was a time, 60s and 70s, when Bible teaching was the in thing in this country. And remember a pastor of an evangelical church in town telling me after seeing what was happening in Indian Hills, I decided I had to concentrate on learning to teach the word better. Why? Because people were pouring in here. Now, whether they're pouring in or pouring out, I don't know. What would we do differently to have filled up again all the seats and have people and would put chairs in the aisles? The last days, difficult times will come. Where near the last days? I don't know. We're 2,000 years closer to the coming of the Lord. The seven-year tribulation that will follow the rapture of the church than we were when Paul wrote this. But in the last days, difficult times will come. Here's what it, there'll be, men will be like. They'll be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure, lovers of God. Ooh. Well, I guess we could say we're in the last days. And then you have verse 5 holding to a form of godliness. Oh, wait a minute. You've got these described in verses 2, 3, and 4. And then verse 5 tells us they're holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. And there's another command now. First commandment in chapter 3 was realize. The second command is avoid. Avoid such men as these. And there are certain people it's better we don't have involvement with. Those that are 
determined to teach and preach or promote the error, the kind of things that we're talking about in 2, 3, and 4, we're constantly, we see this, we have a hard time maintaining discipline in our homes as parents. My dad told me, when you think you can do your own thing, then you're welcome to move out. This is different today. And parents, what about your kids? Well, they just don't want to do this. Things change. And it begins to affect the thinking of believers. And when I'm careful, that prepares the way for we have a form of godliness, but we've denied its power. Avoid such men as these. We don't need them here. We don't need them promoting or teaching what they do. Anybody can come. That's fine. But there have been occasions where we've had to ask people not to attend anymore. We've had some people we told, no, you can't attend. Why? Because they want to do, bring up and constantly be a disruptive influence. They're always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. He gives some examples from Old Testament history. You ought to underline verse 12. It's not a command, but it's a statement of fact. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Are you persecuted? Well, I realize I'm not out looking for it. I'm not being obnoxious, and you know what I mean about that. But I'm not going to compromise the truth. This church cannot compromise the truth. All who desire to live godly in Christ will be persecuted. It doesn't say some. Now, some of you even are persecuted now in your family and situations. Be of good cheer. It's biblical. If you desire to live godly, you will be suffering for it. You, however, evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse. We just can't get away from the evil because the devil is a relentless enemy. And he uses his people. So evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You ever, here's another command. There are only three commands in chapter 3. Realize in verse 1. Avoid in verse 5. And continue in verse 14. Continue in the things you've learned. That's what we have to do. Continue in them. And... We have the great scripture. All scripture is God-breathed, verse 16, and profitable. It'll enable us. You know, we're constantly fighting the battle. We want to get educated. I've shared with you on other occasions what's happened to seminaries. And what? Well, we want to be like the world, but we, and then we want the recognition of the world, and on it goes, and it just is relentless. You can't hold on track. We are not like the world. All scripture is God-breathed and profitable. And we want to be careful with that. Chapter 4, and we have a number of commands here. We have five of them in verse 2. And you know, Paul here, he's getting serious as he's closing this letter. I solemnly charge you, verse 1, in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is judged to judge the living and the dead by his appearing in his kingdom. I mean, it's serious business. He's writing to Timothy. And you better not get off track. You better not get off track. Preach the word. And that's the first of the five commands in chapter 4. Preach. Preach. 
What moves people? What Preach the word. Preach the word. Preach the word. Wherever you move away, you... Do they preach the word? Well, I like it because they had this and they had that. They had good young people. Do they preach the word? That's the first command, Paul to Timothy. And he solemnly, it is an oath, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will be your judge, preach the word. Be ready. In season and out of season. Maybe it's out of season. Maybe they're not packing in. What do I do? I'm to preach the word. I'm to be ready in season and out of season. When it is favorable, when it's unfavorable. We're unfavorable compared to, but not like some places in the world. Where you're persecuted if you try to meet together and preach the word. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Three commands. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. I just like something positive that helps me live my life and get on with, uh, you know, what I'm doing. Well, reprove, rebuke. First two things you do, reprove, rebuke, and then you exhort. Well, I don't want to hear the negative. We have one well-known preacher who's on TV and has a very large ministry in the South. Hey, well, I don't preach about sin and that because, you know, it's not, people need something positive. Well, that's arrogance. I decide. God doesn't decide. I decide. Well, God says, reprove, rebuke. Exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. That's the challenge. What happens if the church continues to shrink in size? Well, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, sound teaching. Well, they don't want the sound teaching anymore. Well, then we'll give them something else. They'll accumulate. They like to have their ears tickled. They want the things that are pleasant. They'll accumulate for themselves teachers according to their own desires and turn away from the truth. Turn aside to myths. It's not complicated. What will happen to this church if the Lord doesn't come in 50, 60 years? Well, you know, time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. We're to reprove, rebuke, exhort people. They don't come. I shared with you my brother-in-law's experience of having 3,000 on Sunday morning and 100 came back on Sunday night. People just vote. We don't come to hear it anymore. We're not interested. Okay. If you're not interested in the word of God, you won't be interested in this church. But we're not going to make adjustments so we can fill the church and feel good about it because people turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to miss verse 4. Four commands in verse 5. Be sober. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Paul's writing here, and he's not like, it's been tough for me, but it'll be better for you. There's none of that. Be sober. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. I'm being poured out. The time of my departure has come. I've fought a good fight. I've finished the course. 
And henceforth, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness. So I'm, I've been a success. Paul doesn't use that language, but basically, basically what he said, from a spiritual standpoint, yes, why? I've done what God called me to do. Verse 7, I fought the good fight. I finished the course. I kept the faith. I'm going to be executed. I'm already poured out. Verse 6, the process that will culminate in my death, if the Lord doesn't directly intervene, is underway. But I'm not going out as a defeated. No. In the future, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Who has the most now? Nero, the emperor, or Paul, the apostle? I'd rather be Paul, the apostle. He died as a martyr. Nero didn't die very good death himself. But when Paul's writing, Nero's sitting on a throne and Paul's in prison. Paul's going to die as a martyr, having nothing. So with that, the letter completed. He has one, two, three, four, five commands. I'll just mention them to you. We're not going to talk about them. Make every effort is the first command in verse 9. Then in verse 13, bring, because he wants the cloak, something helps keep him warm, bring the cloak. Verse 15, be on guard against those who's there and who will oppose the teaching. And then verse 19, greet Priscilla and Aquila and some others and make every effort, verse 21. And he's done. It's a uh, wrap-up that uh, basically we've gone through all 33 commands in this final letter. We say it's a positive or a negative letter. Well, it's both. There are things you don't want to be and there are things you want to be. Let me just say a couple of things about us. I've looked over our teacher list Sunday morning, Wednesday night. I just want to encourage you. Many are older. That's good. People who have weathered, who have been in the Word, but... We need to be training younger men. Paul here is ready to pass it on to Timothy. Doesn't mean Timothy's perfect. But he has exhorted Timothy. He's reminded Timothy. I encourage some of you. Maybe the Lord has prepared you to be a teacher. Maybe not. Don't be selling yourself in the wrong sense. Dwayne's going to be teaching a class for teachers. Maybe you ought to attend that class. Find out. Maybe the Lord wants me to be a teacher. I don't know. Try it. Do it. Don't be offended. People say, you know, right now I don't see it. Maybe you ought to start lower. I started kids' classes. I taught kids' classes on that for several years. That's fine. I mean, they need the word. There's some of you who have taught teachers' classes and you're older. That's fine. I mean, the teaching and you find out where God uses you and how God uses you. And some of you aren't teachers. That's fine. I tried. I decided I fit here best. That's fine. But I am concerned. Who's going to step in for the teacher? Well, we'll just die, and then whoever comes, the Lord will replace us. <laughs> well, that's not the way Paul went out. He had prepared men, not just Timothy, but others that he mentions. So I would say some of you men consider maybe I ought to take the teacher training. Maybe I ought to look at that. 
Some of you say, no, I know for sure that's not where God would use me. Then get involved. But we do need teachers. They are the key for the rest of the ministry that will hold the truth. I'm glad we have older men who are filling this role on Sunday morning, Sunday night, some of our home Bible studies. But look for somebody to come alongside like Paul with Timothy. Timothy wasn't perfect, but he had Paul there to remind him. God has not given us here, here, work on this, work on that, do this, do that, so that we don't end up with a gap. Sunday evening, I won't say anything about that. You know, my dad told me, well, as long as you live in this house, we go to church on Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday night, and you go on Friday night to the youth program. Now, we don't even model that anymore. That's fine. The Bible doesn't say how much. It just says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And it was already the practice of some, Hebrews 10, 25. When that letter was written, so 2,000 years, it's just a matter of time. I am concerned. After church on Sunday evening, we used to go out and we'd see people from this Bible-believing church and this Bible-believing church and this Bible-believing church. Now, you know, basically we stay home. Well, we're busy. We're tired. I don't know that we're busier than people were. Look at my dad. There were times when he was the supervisor at U.S. Steel, and he was there at 7.30 every morning, and sometimes he wasn't home at 7.30 in the evening. I was, uh, of course, willing to help him. I said, well, we won't need to go to church tonight because you're at work. He'd call. He'd say, no, I called to tell you, you go ahead and go ahead there, and I'll meet you there. Oh, well, but I'm glad he did. Now, 60-some years ago, now then I chafed against it. So I just have you consider, where am I? I see a weakening of the church. It's not whether we have Sunday night or not. It's, that is a reflection. Why wouldn't we have Sunday night? I mean, what better place to be? What better to do than be with God's people? But I'm not preaching on Sunday night anymore. So I have feel freer to dump on you. I won't be preaching on Sunday morning, so be careful. I may get a message together, and if you're not here, I'll have to find you. <laughs> Trust the Lord will continue to bless the work, bless Jesse as he comes, bless the ministry of his truth, and trust we'll be faithful until the Lord comes. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank you for your faithfulness. That even when we are unfaithful, you are faithful. You cannot deny yourself. And uh, we take heart in that. We take courage in that. We thank you for the grace that has brought us salvation in Christ, the grace grace that has brought us together as a church, and the grace that sustains us day by day. Pray that we might be faithful in all that we do. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Sound Words, a ministry of Indian Hills Community Church. Make sure to download our app from iTunes or Google Play for more messages like the one you just heard. If you would like to contact us, please email soundwords at ihcc.org or give us a call at 402-483-4541.